Hi guys, this is Eric Tickus, Owan, Nebraska. You just got done listening to my story, uh, episode 18 on the Boundary Waters podcast, WTIP. Uh, I just want to take a minute and a shout out to Progress Northwoods Company in Ely, Minnesota. They're the ones that sold me the canoe, my father the canoe, and uh, Tom Roller and Drew Brockett were the two connections at Paragas that helped me get my trip planned and all the information I needed, my permit, and uh, just can't say enough for all the help they did in helping me get this trip done and fulfilling one of my dreams to do, uh, in memory of my dad. So, yeah, I just want to thank those guys, and I'm a Boundary Waters paddler. I support Paragas Northwoods Company and this podcast. Thanks, you guys. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Welcome to episode 19 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Today on the episode, we're going to be talking about an element of trip planning and preparation that isn't what you may expect. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Indeed, we'll explore that as well as something, Matthew, that's been talked about by even some of the most tried and true paddlers that you and I know, and uh, it's probably even slipped out of our own mouths here this year in the 2019 season, the insects. Yeah, and I'm actually scratching my bites <laughs> as uh, I talk into <laughs> the microphone here in yeah. the studio at uh, WTIP. And, you know, I just overheard some murmurings at the uh, Boundary Waters Expo up the Gunflint Trail recently that uh, this uh, year for bugs is uh, one that hasn't been matched in many years. Yeah, so we are going to hear from Chelly Anderson. She is uh, works for the DNR and lives here on the North Shore. She's been on WTIP many times, but now she's here on the podcast, and she tells us a lot of information uh, valuable information about insects in the Boundary Waters region, including some of the benefits of having all these insects zooming around. Um, so it's an it's an enlightening conversation or educational in the sense of maybe those itches and scratches and all of this that's going on is worth it. Indeed. Uh, but when we come back to this idea of trip planning, I think uh, all the most well-seasoned wilderness travelers, they... You know, they put a lot of thought into their trip into the Boundary Waters or Aquatico. Uh, and that's part of being well-prepared, especially if you only get on one trip a year. 
Uh, you want it to be good. And sometimes it's a trip that takes many years to build up to. Uh, you want to you know, you know your maps, know your campsites, know your lakes, know the fish. You know, all these things are part of being prepared. But some, some things you can't prepare for. And I found that out actually firsthand here on a trip in the summer of 2019 that there are curveballs that will likely come your way on a Boundary Waters trip. And we recorded some audio uh, in the Boundary Waters of a friend of mine, friend of yours too, friend of ours on the podcast, Kevin the K-Man Kramer lives down in the Twin Cities area. Him and I had been planning a trip, Matthew, literally for years. Him and I have been talking about a trip we wanted to go through Brule and paddle all the way up through Windchill where you and I did a winter trip a couple years ago. Uh, pop out at Poplar Lake was the plan. That was something we originally wanted to do, and then it changed from there, and we started building, for lack of a better way to put it, we we had an expectation about what was going to happen to us on this trip that we'd been planning and put so much time into planning and sent dozens and dozens, if not a 100, emails back and forth. We're going to do this. This is, this is going to happen. You, know, you start to build in your mind what the trip is going to be before you even get there, before you factor in things like weather, uh, how people are feeling, you know, physically, uh, mentally in some instances perhaps. You know, just you don't know exactly what the circumstances are going to be for a trip until you actually put your paddle into the water, and even then things can change on the trip. You know, we've talked a lot, Joe, about how, you know, there's almost three phases to a trip that make it fun. The planning phase, that's fun. The trip itself and then the storytelling afterwards. And, you know, we're talking, you're talking right now about the trip planning and that that doesn't turn into the trip itself, like you said, until your paddle touches the water. But I think there's a difference between planning and then expectations in the wilderness. And, you know, as, as you and I both know, uh, according to William Shakespeare, at least for, for all intents and purposes, uh, expectation is the source of all heartache and there can be a lot of heartache out there in the wilderness if things don't go according to plan if you have an expectation of the way things are supposed to go which Mm -hmm. gets even more dangerous and i you know matthew you and i have worked at canoe outfitters here on the east end of the boundary waters uh in the past and we've seen groups that come up groups that travel from the midwest or farther away than that you know i you and i have outfitted many groups from indiana wisconsin chicago you mm, name it new york yeah sure. texas texas absolutely and they come and they they put in a lot of time some money involved in this type of a trip and i've seen people come out oh, how'd it go you're at the landing helping them or you're back at the shop helping them how'd, it, how'd the trip go well uh, Oh, it went okay, or, you know, you don't really... You could tell it didn't go quite as they hoped it would, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the, the level of heartache for some of those folks, you can tell that it's going to be what they carry with them. Uh, and I think that today we're going to explore another way to handle what happens when those expectations are not met. So let's go out to the edge of the wilderness, and we're going to hear about a trip that I was on in late June 2019 that didn't go quite according to plan. All right. 
Here we are on the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness on the podcast. Joe here with Kevin the K-Man Kramer. Kevin, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing, Joe? <laughs> well, we've been braving the storm out here. Um, we've had quite an experience the past, what is it now, 72 plus hours now or thereabouts, somewhere in that time frame. Um, it's, it's the summer officially, technically, but it's... Uh, I think you said it best earlier when you said I've been wearing my winter cap uh, all day and never once got hot. So it's been... What's going on, Joe? It's almost July and I'm wearing my down coat <laughs> and a wool cap and I'm, I'm still kind of chilled out here. And it's been raining for 48 hours straight. Yeah. So... Just to backtrack a little bit, uh, as I said, we're on the edge of the wilderness here, and, and we entered on a Saturday morning, and uh, we had a permit for Brule, Brule Lake, which is a very popular entry point, a big body of water, and uh, we paddled west. We had a plan that uh, Kevin and I have been working on for years now, actually. Uh, the, the original plan, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but was to go from Brule mm-hmm north to all, all the way to poplar to, to poplar we to the gonna, gunflint right we were going to exit at poplar lake on the gunflint trail and uh that would have been quite an expedition you know and time didn't really permit it we would have had to kind of spend more time traveling and less time fishing and so you know we kind of looked at a new route option and then we decided to go just do a loop around brule then right yeah and we were then gonna do something relatively challenging i mean nothing that certainly certainly we would have been up for it but it would have gone up from the west end of brule and up through cam and up to cherokee then down and over and pop out at sawbill and then we even then we even step back from that a little bit because we wanted to incorporate fly fishing mm-hmm. really into the whole idea was to do fly fishing and hammock camping we were we set out to teach, you know, I was going to teach you sort of the ins and outs of fly fishing, uh-huh. one, fly fishing 101, you were going to do I was going to teach you the, the, <laughs> the ins and outs of hammock camping. Yeah. And uh, and we realized that that route through Brule and then out through uh, Sawbill, it just wasn't going to allow us the time to, to spend fishing and, and, and learning these new these new things. So we shortened it even more. Yeah, so we shortened it to pop out at south temperance maybe a night on north and then shoot down uh into weird and jack kelly and peterson pop out at baker so we were doing brule to baker right we only had a few days and and that was the route and we set out and we did it i mean we left we said goodbye to our significant others and yeah. and everyone we knew and said okay you know we'll be out at baker we even parked another vehicle there and we we started the trip we yeah. the trip was underway we were we were on the west end of Brule and had a camp set up, as a matter of fact, on the very west, southwest part of Brule. And um, everything was going great. It was a beautiful day. Made it up to a little trout lake we were checking out up there, fly fishing up there. I was standing on a reef in the middle of the lake, and uh, things were going well. And uh, came in, you took a nap, and, and then <laughs> then reality kind of hit. And, and um, it, was a, it was a work uh, emergency. There was a work emergency, and I had to make the difficult decision to uh, exit the wilderness and uh, and make a and put out some fires back at home. Yep, it was it was just something that needed to be dealt with, and um, that's that was the circumstance that came up. 
Yeah, and I, I really just had to take care of this via via phone and internet, but obviously that's not available on Brule, so I, I had to get out and uh, and make some phone calls. It and, had to be, and it had to be done, and and that's what it was. It yeah, wasn't a, so. a big debate. It was just, yep, <laughs> we are gonna now leave. So in the same day, we paddled uh, to the west end of Brule, and we had camp, went up, and portaged, and fished. On the trout lake and then paddled back and made it out before dark as a matter of fact yeah and then i drove all the way back to uh tofty and took care of some business at about nine o'clock at night and we were we were about ready to we pretty much canceled this trip mm -hmm. we had said goodbye i was going to go back home yep and, back to the cities and i was at home and and uh i took care of this stuff everything was taken care of and i'm like you know what i'm up here i'm packed I, I can't I gotta salvage a trip mm -hmm. we gotta do something yep. so the so then we had a, a choice uh, to make because our permit was valid we could re-enter through Brule on you know technically on that same day on Saturday on that Saturday but um, it was already 10:30 at night meaning we had about an hour to do that legally plus it was you know we would have had to paddle to find a campsite in the dark and we opted not to do it so we knew our permit was broken. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast here and you don't understand how the permit system works, you can enter on the day that your permit is valid or issued for. Uh, so we we lost that chance, and so now we either could get a new permit and look around and see if one was open, or do some hop skipping around on some of the edge of the Boundary Waters lakes mm -hmm. and even go in on day permits if you wanted, which is what we've now been doing. And uh, so that's what we did. Basically what we're trying to say uh, here is that things on a Boundary Waters trip often do not go according to a plan that has been worked out in, in our case for years of planning. <laughs> and uh, pretty much nothing went according to plan. Right, but it ended up working out. We've been having a great trip even if the weather wasn't quite cooperating. Um, you know, we've we've done these little little day trips. We were staying right on the edge of the boundary waters, um, on lakes. Um, so in between the care for our listeners, if you're wondering where it is, you know, it's the Sawbill Trail is a is a pretty common thoroughfare that maybe a lot of people would know, and then the Caribou Trail, which actually maybe some people might know, but the, these lakes are in between the the Sawbill and the Caribou, and we've been hop skipping around a little bit. And we've been finding fish. <laughs> it ended up it ended up being a fantastic trip because the although the fly fishing and the and the smallmouth bass fishing, you know, hasn't really turned on yet. Uh, we ended up finding some walleyes, and in a big way, in a big, right? Big way. In fact, we just finished a walleye meal. We're here at camp. Our second walleye meal of this trip. <laughs> okay. Came in, just cooked up a second uh, walleye meal, and it's been extraordinary. I mean, the fishing has. In that sense, the walleye fishing has been phenomenal, but we had to revert back to some of our more traditional tactics, which is a leech on a hook, you know. Yeah. So um, we we set out, we chose this weekend in late June because in 2018 I made a similar trip with a friend of mine and we fished topwater smallmouth bass. That was the whole point of the trip. And it was almost, you know, every cast or everywhere you would think there'd be one, on the surface you'd throw your lure and there would be a bass same weekend now here 2019 and we you caught one i guess on your fly rod nice small mouth yep yep um, i did catch one 
one small small mouth on, on my fly rod so i yeah. and that I, was on brule that was on the first day as a matter yeah. of fact and so we it's just been they aren't on the, the top water fishing has not started so um had we been on that route through temperance and down through kelly and so forth and the fishing wasn't on it would have been it, a lot of work to go through there what was there about eight or ten portages through that route and then to get down there and and concentrate on smallmouth bass fishing and not catch anything it, it, it may have been a little disappointing so. and hard it's been raining i mean we're not exaggerating when we say it's been raining for 48 straight hours and so now we've got kind of this luxurious camp and, and in fact now the rain has stopped we got a fire going over here we've made dinner under the tarp over here we were sleeping in hammocks that you've taught me uh you know all the basics on how to how to do this last night in the pouring rain it did not stop raining from about three in the afternoon all through the night into the after breakfast and I was bone dry in that hammock. Snug as a bug in there, right? Up off. Isn't that comfortable? Up off the ground. And so we we made this trip. We 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 easily could have thrown in the towel. We could have been even angry or you know about the circumstances of our plan. Our plan fell apart. But we've been. I've been having a. I don't want to speak for you, but I've been having a great time. This has time. been fantastic. I couldn't have asked for anything more. So far, we've seen a moose. We've seen a bear. An angry, black bear, an, an angry, angry bear. black bear. He actually kept his distance, but yeah. uh, uh, he was he was eyeballing us. Yeah, he was. He didn't look like he was. It was before the rain started. He was he was clearly hot and angry, and bugs were here. He was no, he was in no mood for us. I guess is the easiest way to say it. We've seen eagles, and uh, and most of all, we we've caught a lot of walleyes. We that, have. That, I think that's the <laughs> takeaway from this is we uh, we've salvaged a pretty good trip, even though it wasn't anything close to what we set out to do we uh we kind of, we came up with a new plan and it and it's worked and it has and and the whole idea i mean we were gonna you know we brought this recording equipment that we're, we're doing this on here um to do some demos about fly fishing and we were gonna the whole point of this journey was let's do a fly fishing hammock camping trade 101 type deal and that kind of also fell apart to a certain extent because the fishing wasn't happening and the hammock was more, we need to get these up now because it's raining and we don't have time to make this a cute, fun thing. <laughs> like we're, It's survival mode. Yeah. So everything changed. I mean, if you'd have told me a week ago that this we'd be on the edge of the wilderness recording this under a tarp, having caught walleye on leeches i'd have gone well what happened <laughs> because that doesn't sound like the plan at all and it isn't and so again you know as, as matthew and i said here at the top like the whole point of this episode or what we're trying to convey here mm -hmm. is people put a lot of time into their boundary waters planning there's expectation that gets wrapped into that whether subconsciously or not mm -hmm. and if you aren't of the mindset of things may change you're probably going to be disappointed i would imagine you have to stay flexible you have to stay flexible on your route you have to stay flexible on your expectations whether it's fishing or photography or weather or whatever it is you just have to stay flexible and you've done a lot of canoe trips right i mean what tell me tell the listeners a little bit about how long you've been coming to the boundary waters and where you've been and this kind of stuff 
I've been probably, it's been about 35 years I've been coming to the Boundary Waters. I've probably done 45 or 50 different trips in the Boundary Waters, Quetico, Woodland Caribou Provincial Park, Wabakimi most recently. And uh, yeah, one thing I've learned over the years is, you know, you, you can set a general plan, but be ready to kind of adjust that plan on a daily basis. Yeah. And have you ever experienced uh, something to this extent where oh, it's been days of rain and you've actually had, you know, an emergency that altered plans and this is, you know, I mean, is this... I've never had to exit the wilderness because of a, an emergency back home. So mm-hmm. that was a first. And honestly, it's been a long time since I've sat through 48 hours of straight rain too. Yeah. So we've had to make some adjustments with that as well. But I'm telling you, there's something about, like this, to me, it will be a trip that I'll... I'll never forget, and and there's been some that I've made that, even though they were great, I just either don't think about them very often, or they're just you know they're always good memories. But this one is gonna be this is a memorable experience because it, it almost didn't happen. We planned it for three years, and it changed a number of different times, and then at the very end, it almost didn't even take place. And at the last minute, we're like, let's salvage something out of this. And it ended up, it turned out to be one of the most memorable and fun trips that that I've ever been on. And I think uh, for somebody who's listening that is maybe, would be more considered a trip leader or the trip organizer, uh, I understand that sense of of pressure to make sure everyone else is having a good time and you'd want to stick to a certain schedule uh, and to make sure you know okay on this second night we're supposed to be on this campsite and that whole itinerary must be followed mentality i get it because i've been there i've I've done that many times i'm guilty of that um but if you're hearing this please trust us that uh, if you can have an open mind about whatever weather or just you know, events, somebody maybe isn't feeling well, um, not to push it because it just doesn't have to be that way. And we could have easily made that trip, this trip into something like that. You know, this is a, what a bust, what a bummer. We've been stuck under this tarp or we've been whatever. We're not where we're supposed to be. And because we just kept an open mind, Mm -hmm. this has been some of the best, uh, fishing I've ever done in in a couple years, probably totally unexpected and had a blast yeah yeah you got to stay flexible you set out with a plan but uh you know it doesn't always work out and you definitely can't set out for this specific campsite on this specific lake on this specific day because anything could happen weather could happen the wind could slow you down or you could end up getting there and that campsite's occupied anyways and if that's the only campsite on the lake you know, and it's and, and it's seven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be struggling to find a place to camp. Yep. So no matter uh, if this if you're planning your first trip or your hundredth trip, um, please just trust us that if you stay flexible, you're gonna probably have a way better time than if you try to work against what the cards are being dealt your way. Don't force it. Absolutely. Well, uh, what's the word on this uh, triple berry crisp? dessert uh we got any we got any water going on this bad yeah, boy i'm gonna start boiling some water this is this is 
Trail Trailtopia's uh, yeah. Triple Berry Crisp. And I've had this before. This right. is delicious. <laughs> it has strawberries, raspberries, blueberries with a crisp topping. That yep. is sounding very good to me after this fresh walleye dinner that you just cooked up. Out here on the edge of the Boundary Waters, 2019, in the summer, uh, about to have some dessert, hanging out under a tarp. We're, we're soaked to the bone. We're, we're on the surface, if you pulled up right now, you'd be like, who are these two miserable dopes? <laughs> out here on the edge of the wilderness, been raining for days, why didn't you go home? Little do they know, <laughs> we've just had some of the, the, the best times of our lives out here in the past few days. Yeah, so uh, we're gonna get back to it. We're actually gonna head out and do some more fishing, believe it or not, here uh, this evening uh, before dark after dessert. And um, just, again, final takeaway, Stay flexible on your trip. You're bound to have a lot more fun that way. So let's send it back to the studio. Thanks, K-Man. Great right. to be out here with you, buddy. All right, thanks, Joe. You know, Joe, that's a great story. And I think it's a lesson that it can't be hit too many times. And I feel like on almost every trip I've been on, there's some element of this uh, that occurs. Sometimes it's huge, like in <laughs> your experience. And sometimes maybe it's minor, but those minor things can feel big depending on how big you make them. And you guys really, I mean, in some ways, the whole... Uh, foiling of your plan became the trip itself. And it ended up working out better than we ever could have imagined because, as you heard, it rained pretty hard for days in a row. And if we were really out there doing the trip that we'd set out to do, it might have been a little more challenging in the sense of not getting in all the fishing we wanted to do, kind of tough conditions. Just would have been a lot more grueling i guess so our flexibility our mindset of hey this is the circumstances that have unfolded here's what we're going to do about it 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 worked out for the best for us and um speaking of rain one other thing i want to get in here about rain on the boundary waters trip especially in the summer you know as i mentioned earlier in the episode you and i you know worked at some canoe outfitters in the past and uh i actually where i was working mid-trail I would be getting the phones. It'd be a rainy day. People would call up. I remember one group in particular called up. They were driving from somewhere in the Midwest area. You know, we see the forecast the next three, four days, and uh, it looks like it's going to rain, so we're going to call off our trip and keep your deposit. We'll try it again next year. So I'm okay. Uh, you know, see you next year or whatever. And I got to tell you, getting out there in the rain, we were catching walleye like crazy, as you heard, <laughs> yep. all day long. Uh -huh. The fishing was incredible because it's overcast. The walleye are very light sensitive up here in the Boundary Waters region and all over, but, you know, up here for sure. And it just made the fishing incredible. We had rain gear, rain pants, raincoat, didn't, you know, lightweight, relatively gear. And if you bring that along, which you should on every trip, in, you know, in canoe season, you, you're going to have a great time. 
It's it was unbelievable. If you're fishing, and or even if you're not, you know. Well, I gotta say, some of my most memorable experiences, for for various reasons, whether it's you know because I'm genuinely having a good time, or it's I'm just facing another hardship that I have to overcome, have been paddling in either the rain and sometimes the snow. Actually, if you're on a early or late season trip, and and you can't, um, I think you can embrace that as what the wilderness is offering you at that time. And that can uh, actually create some really fond memories. It can. It's all about what I learned on this trip more than anything was you got to stay flexible. You got Mm -hmm. whatever happens is what the trip is unfolding to be. You can't trying to change that, reshape it. You know, you get stuck in this, this isn't the way it was supposed to be mentality. And you're going to run into trouble or or not have a very good trip hey guys joe here on the podcast you know matthew and i sometimes get pretty busy in our day-to-day lives here on the edge of the boundary waters so sometimes so we just have to stop drop what we're doing and head up onto the lakes and put canoes on the water and recently i had an idea to do just that so i gave matthew a call and i also recorded that conversation so let's hear that Joe Fredericks. Hey, Matthew Baxley. How you doing, man? Well, I, man, I'm doing all right. Uh, I got to get up the trail. I got to get out in the woods, and uh, I don't know. We got to get mm, outside. Boundary waters? Please. Yeah, dude. You uh, know where you want to go? Well, I'm, I got some ideas in mind, but I'm, I'm feeling like going up the Gunflint and, you know, really either having the option to go into the boundary waters or maybe just on a lake right on the edge, but it'd be nice to have kind of, a, kind of a fallback, you know, cabin or an option like that, too. Mm, East Bearskin Lake, Bearskin Lodge and Outfitters, that's the place to go. Really? Yeah, man, it's amazing. They have, like, cabins all on, like, right on the lake. I mean, if you're looking for something cozy, every cabin's got either, like, a fireplace or a wood stove with a little kitchen. If you want to go a nice, luxurious route. Ooh, and each one of them has a private dock, so you can park your canoe right there, launch off. If you don't want to do that, there's a sandy beach you can launch from and i mean you know what's uh you go a little ways in and you got johnson falls right there that's what i'm feeling man what if we uh you know head up get a little little group together here in town uh we'll head up get a cabin maybe for a couple nights and head into the boundary waters and i like your i like where you're coming from dude east bearskin it is yeah man i mean you can just give them a call they're like really easy to work with and uh I think just recently, now there's three generations of family running that place. So I think they know what they're doing. You got the number uh, off the top of your head, or you wouldn't happen to know what that is? I want to give them a call right now. Uh, You know, I don't remember, but you can either call them or shoot them an email. Well, good thing I just Googled it up and beat you to it anyway. 218-388-2292, bearskin.com. I'll see you up there, Mr. Baxley. Man, we got to get out in the woods. All right, I'm throwing the canoe in the truck right now. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) All right, I'll see you there. Okay, see you, buddy. All right, bye, Joe. If you learned anything on this episode, if you take away anything with you, uh, please just approach your trip, your next trip, with the idea that I need to have a flexible mindset about what 
is going to happen out there. I think that's perfect. And a perfect segue uh, into the second half of today's episode. And that's something that can also come through as a hardship. That's the insects in the Boundary Waters. Uh, That can, uh, I think, has also ruined a few trips Mm -hmm. uh, for folks. And uh, I'm really excited to hear uh, from Chell Anderson uh, some new ways of seeing those insects in some fascinating and enlightening ways. All right, let's get to it. It is my pleasure to welcome Chell Anderson to the WTIP studios for the Boundary Waters podcast. Welcome, Chell. Hello. How fun to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's really great to have you. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of things, Boundary Waters today, your experience in the Boundary Waters, bugs in the Boundary Waters, uh, maybe even how we arm ourselves as the resistance uh, to some of these critters. Uh-huh. Um, but for uh, any listener who isn't acquainted with you, could you tell us a little bit about who you are? Uh, well, um, professionally, I'm a plant ecologist and botanist for the Minnesota Biological Survey, which is a part of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. But I'm mostly just a human being living in this part of the world who is deeply rooted and um, in love with this place. And I have been since I moved here in 1974. Um, So in addition to, you know, following my own interests through my professional life, I have tried to really pay attention and learn about everything that's part of my home here. Can you tell us a little more specifically about what that home is for you when you say you're deeply rooted in this place? Mm-hmm. You're right here in in uh, Cook County mm-hmm. on the edge of the wilderness, uh, Superior mm-hmm. National Forest. What do you call home in, mm-hmm. within those spaces? Mm-hmm. Well, my... I, I think I first think of my home landscape and my home landscape is really the Cook County would be, you know, one way to define it, I guess, but, you know, Lake Superior, the very distinctive um, parts of the landscape that are associated to Lake Superior with Lake Superior. And then the inland areas that includes the, the Boundary Waters Wilderness, which, you know, I've had the privilege of, um, recreating in, working in for um, many of the years that I've lived here. Fantastic. And I hope to hear some of those stories at some <laughs> point today mm-hmm. before we're done with our conversation. Uh, I need to ask you to settle a, a little bit of a debate for me, <laughs> uh-huh. if you wouldn't mind. I'll try. Um, and this is, you know, totally perspective. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. Is that, I know it's not part of the designated wilderness. Mm -hmm. But is that one of the boundary waters, in your opinion? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the wilderness as a political designation is really important, has very important uh, implications within our culture. Uh, And so I, I value that. And I'm very appreciative of all of those who work to make that happen. But in terms of my identification with this place, all the waters qualify and Lake Superior most definitely is included in in that big context big picture term I don't know if you know with this mm-hmm. but you just validated my argument so thank you oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay so Chell, we're in the height of 
recreation season in the boundary mm-hmm. waters maybe not quite height but we're building to the height of recreation season in the boundary mm-hmm. waters mm-hmm. and for anybody who's um planning their trip in just coming out of or imagining the boundary waters this time of year the uh, one of the immediate topics that come up are bugs mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about that right good uh, I, just in, you know, I think a good place to start are, you know, what are the top bugs that you think of <laughs> when you imagine, you know, getting out to paddle or whatever, mm-hmm. recreating in the wilderness? Mm-hmm. Well, um, top can mean a lot of things. Uh, so top of mind for me at this particular time of year, so early part of the, you know, late spring, early summer, um, well, are the most dramatic bugs. And um, they're not true bugs. Most of the things that we pay close attention to are not true bugs. They're insects. They're all insects, but bugs are a particular group of insects. And most of the one, most of the bugs that we pay attention to, in terms of those that we might see or impact our experiences outdoors at this time of year, are not true bugs. They're in other groups of. Um, insects so bugs but bugs is definitely the term that people use but i just want to be um clear that bugs are not all equally bugs <laughs> you just blew my mind Joe. okay all right I'm, I'm resetting my thinking here okay uh so should is the more appropriate term for us to use insects then yeah okay so insects uh-huh. in the wilderness <laughs> okay and when i think of um the, the ones that come to my mind are ones with wings yeah because mm-hmm. those are the ones that have access to my face, yeah. to my skin. Yeah. Now, I know there are some, you know, that are that people pay attention to, like ticks, uh-huh. that don't have wings. But mm-hmm. most of the other ones do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's typically people pay seem like they pay most attention to mm-hmm. the bu- the insects mm-hmm. that are bothersome. Right. Yeah. For bites or mm-hmm. diving into the eyeballs or crawling into the ears. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, when you think, when we think of mm-hmm. like what, Let's talk about those first, because okay. because they get the most attention. Let's get them out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, yeah. Those insects, and when do they show up? And how do they show up? And mm-hmm. when do they go away? And how do we anticipate <laughs> these things? Okay, all right. Uh, so the most um, troublesome of the biting insects at this time of year, and continuing on to some degree through the summer, are in a group of insects called. Dipterans, for dipteran means two wings, and um, and the majority of them that bother us are those that where the females of those of those insect species need to um, get a blood meal in order to enhance the development of their eggs, and um, so that they can lay their eggs and set the next generation in motion. Which of course is what everything here is trying to do. <laughs> Put it in perspective. There. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, they're not unusual in this in this sense, and so dipterans, um, in you know, we can just refer to them as biting flies, and whether they're mosquitoes, which are a big piece of the action, yeah, <laughs> early on, or um, black flies, or um, noceums, or uh, horse flies, or deer flies, all of those things are in that group. And all of them need to, uh, the females need or are benefit in, uh, to an important degree uh, by having that blood meal um, to um, 
help with their reproduction. Once they, so all, and all of those species or groups of insects that I mentioned are, are, spend most of their lives as aquatic insects. Are we talking like metamorphosis here now? Yeah. Is that what we're dealing with? Yeah. Okay. Right. So the eggs are laid in or near the water. Um, they, uh, once, if they're not laid in the water, then as soon as the um, eggs hatch into the little larvae, they fall into the water and they actually live and develop in the water through the larval stage. And then in the pupal stage, they're all, that's all in the water. And um, once they've achieve sufficient growth and development, they ultimately metamorphose into adults on the wing that come looking for us or other warm-blooded critters. So you're telling me that the insects love the wilderness for the same reason we do all that beautiful clean water right so we have something in common i see very much so okay so they emerge from the water to start Mm -hmm. this adult stage Mm -hmm. of their life which is the the bloodthirsty stage yeah (laughs) that's a little scary when i say it like that (laughs) yeah and um of course um in many cases insects not just um, insects that don't bother us, but there are lots of them too. But even these um, more bothersome biting insects are insects that are used to um, assess water quality. So if you have a stream or a lake and you sample the invertebrate life in the lake, um, some of these uh, species of the kinds of insects I've just been talking about, the biting flies, are um, are things that people look for to indicate Good water quality. A, a, a good example of how mm, how we take care of water influences that, and it's used as an indicator. Would be, um, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the Mississippi as it comes through the Twin Cities area, and um, one of the one of the things that has indicated a great improvement in the water quality in the Mississippi River is that is the black fly hatch that happens now, when the river was much more polluted and um, influenced in a negative way by all the activities, um, human activities around it, past and present, um, black flies were not really much of a issue, you know, which I guess if you're concerned about being bitten is a good thing. But in terms of um, the quality of the environment of the river, that was an indicator that things were not going very well. So that brings up two big questions for me. And I mm-hmm. think the and I know we could go on and on about this, but um, the so we have the health of the water mm-hmm. um, in uh, you know being revealed to us by the presence of these insects, and you know the draw that a lot of people had, uh, many people who are going in to recreate in Boundary Waters are fish is fishing, yeah, and uh, I would imagine that that's all, like the health of the fish. Are related to the health of the insects, which are related to health of the water. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't maybe, in some terms, have the amazing fishing we have if we didn't have the bugs. The I, I'm sorry, insects. Is that is that yeah, all connect, or am I taking very, that too far? No, that's all very connected. So as so as a part of the whole of the aquatic life in the lake, just like on the land, we have um, plants and small animals that support the 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 um, 
critters, fish included, that are higher up in the in the trophic web, which is the food web of the lake or stream ecosystem. And if you don't have the species, the variety of species and the abundance of those species within an aquatic system, then it can't support the the higher the higher up the food chain um, parts of the ecosystem that we as humans might be looking to utilize as either as just recreation for fun to fish and you know um, and uh, release or to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, it, nothing exists in a vacuum, and fish are just the same, and as are we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't exist in a vacuum either. So even though these Biting flies um, definitely are a nuisance, and to some people, they are you know a considerable detriment to going out if you more sensitive to their bites. Um, without them, <laughs> we would lose that all that time that they spend as aquatic uh, forms of life that are a part of that bigger system of support for other things that we care about. Right. So we can't have one without the other. And <laughs> Not when, as far as I know. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that makes sense to me completely, Jalen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing how um, knowledge can, to me, support gratitude. So mm-hmm. that helps me uh, mm-hmm. accept <laughs> the presence of these mm-hmm. uh, otherwise nuisance insects yeah. by understanding their contribution to the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, what, what I think would be a great thing to talk about is progression mm-hmm. you know uh through the the summertime um you know i'm always curious if like if i wasn't living here mm-hmm. um how can i sort of anticipate sure. what what's going to be going on in mm-hmm. that insect world mm-hmm. um when i'm preparing yeah so maybe what's take the, us through the the summer season sure what's the phenology of insect emergence yeah it sounds so <laughs> smart when you say that i hope i can sound that smart someday well it's a nice um succinct way <laughs> to right. say it i don't know how smart it is but it's a succinct way to say it and you know insects just like our plants and other animals all follow some you know hopefully regular pattern because that's what's a part of their evolution. Yeah, so in terms of um, this area, uh, we usually see the emergence of um, biting flies, uh, sometimes as early as mid-May, early June, but again, it's very variable, it's very local. So I'll often hear people say, oh, you know, the black flies are really out up mid-trail, gun flint trail, or up at the end of the sawbill, or up you know, at the end of the trail, people will be saying that black flies are really out. Some other part of even Cook County won't be seeing any black flies yet. Um, it's it's very um, it's very localized within that broader context of it begins after the snow is gone, the water begins to warm up. If you think about these um, insects living their aquatic lives, and they're gonna most of them are gonna emerge from that aquatic state into adults. Not all, but most are, and they're. That requires um, both the previous year's, you know, development, and then in many cases it involves some additional development as the spring truly comes on. Water has to warm up a little bit, so growth of aquatic forms of life is closely tied to water temperatures in many cases. So, um, so it takes some time, and that's where the variability kind of comes in. 
And of course, how quickly the ice melts and water begins to, you know, boost and so on. So there's many things that can influence it. But generally speaking, it begins towards the latter part of May. And this year is a good example how, at least in the part of the county that I live, the eastern part, inland from Lake Superior, but not way inland, where we have um, uh, more soil, cooler soils, uh, moister soils, they thaw out more slowly, they drain you know, and dry out more slowly, that tends to slow that whole process down a little bit. So um, we didn't really see significant black flies come out, even though we live on a a river, we didn't see black flies come out until way after June 1st. So which is pretty unusual. So that in our case, that was quite delayed. I don't think it was nearly as delayed further inland. So I'm thinking even somebody who's going to go into an entry point, maybe out of Ely, mm-hmm. um, maybe uh, they're going to experience a black fly hatching. Sooner. If their temperatures are warmer, which they often are, they're mm-hmm. going to experience that sooner. Mm-hmm. But no matter where, mm-hmm. that's what probably will happen first. Yeah, it's typically black flies in great numbers. They would be the first things with big numbers. We have, I think in North America, they're about... Um, 170 some mosquito species and i don't i don't know exactly how many there are in minnesota but many of them don't bite us <laughs> and that's true for black flies too i think in minnesota we have about 16 species of black flies and most of them do not aren't interested in us they focus on you hear about people um uh, you know loons abandoning nests because of intense black fly you know uh, attacks on them. Well, that's a different species. Those are different species of black flies than the ones that come to us as mammals. Okay, so there's a black fly that's going to, you know, potentially torture a loon, yeah. and that's a different black fly than will torture me or you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not just loons exclusively, but right. waterfowl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so there are all these niches that, um, that all these different species have, you know, um, connections to. Um, and mosquitoes, the same. They don't all want to bite us. <laughs> um, but they, they, we do have some early, early mosquitoes, usually not nearly so numerous as the black flies first are when they hatch out. Um, and they're very, those earliest mosquitoes um, are very slow flower flyers. They're not very good flyers. Um, if you're someone who wants to slap a mosquito that's bugging you, you're most likely going to get these because they're really slow moving. I bet you've encountered them. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. And those, those are the ones I like because I can typically shoo them away. Wait, yeah. 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 Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. They don't take a lot. And they're usually not in great swarms. Right. That changes though. Yeah, it definitely does. So then as additional species... Um, begin to come out of the mosquitoes now, then we see uh, in greater numbers, some species in greater numbers, and then also swarming, you know, Mm -hmm. and these are, these um, mosquitoes hatch from the water. And then the majority of them, and this is true for black flies too, they move into the forest. Um, because that's where most of the things they Mm -hmm. (laughs) would be looking for, with the exception of the, um, of the black flies, for instance, that are going after waterfowl, which, you know, they're going to find along the edges of lakes or, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, most of our biting flies come from the water, move into the lake or into the forest and, you know, start looking. And I guess I have to mention, too, that uh, we've been talking about biting, which, of course, is a it's 
probably the first thing we want to defend against because it isn't pleasant. But um, I think for me now that it's the, it's the noise that bothers me mm. more than anything else. The black flies are pretty quiet. They don't, you know, unless they're right in your ear. Right, right. Which, yeah, <laughs> then it's loud. Go. But when, but if I'm out working and I'm in that swarm of mosquitoes or I have that group of horse flies and deer flies, you know, by the tents or whatever that are just circling over and over and over around and around, that to me is the hardest part of the experience. I can protect against the bites, but I can't get away from the noise. Right. I mean, I you know, I, I think of when I think of protection, I think of head nets, I think of bug jackets, I think of um, you know, even different repellents and yeah. and things like mm-hmm. that. But I never thought of earmuffs as yeah. another version of protection, and I think yeah. maybe that's appropriate yeah. to mention yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, if you're, you know, hearing, I don't, I may be the only person in the world who for whom that's a problem, but I doubt it. Okay, I that definitely is, and I, you know, from, but I wouldn't want to wear earmuffs or earplugs because I want to hear the birds. You know, this is the time of year when right. we can hear the bird songs, and so you just have to get your attitude on and. <laughs> It's all about attitude, isn't it, It is all about attitude. Mm -hmm. But good protection is definitely uh, recommended, you know, to have a positive experience, I think. What is your go-to protection? Okay, well, um, I have to say first off that uh, I I, I think it has become, mm, it has been enhanced over time, but um, I'm very sensitive to all kinds of insect bites, doesn't matter what it is, and uh, of these biting flies. And so I really, I just, I don't even think about it anymore. I just cover up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always use a head net if there's any significant number of them around. Um, Because it's so uncomfortable if I do get, you know, if I get one or two bites, uh, you know, I can handle that. But once, if I start to get more than that, then I will suffer. (laughs) Right, right. <laughs> and I'm not into that. So, um, and I've done this long enough now that I, you know, I don't, I don't even think twice. Just suit up. Right, um, suit up. Suit up, mm-hmm. you know, long pants, long sleeves, something, a collar that, you know, will come up around your neck. If you're someone who just can't stand a head net, um, then you'll have to, some people like a hood or a cap with flaps that come down around the back of your neck. And, and um, if you apply some kind of um, smelly uh, deterrent uh, of, you know, uh, bug dope of some kind mm-hmm. to your clothes, to your hat, um, mm-hmm. that will that will help keep the swarms from, you know, coming in really close in a in huge numbers. Um, so that's all good. I sometimes, especially with um, deer flies and horse flies, I'll sometimes wear gloves. Um, if I'm working and kind of standing still, I, some of my work, I'm collecting data. So I, you know, I'm moving, I get to a place and then I'm more standing still, not moving very much. And I'm writing and, you know, yeah. so I can't be protecting my hands, you know, with my hands. <laughs> so gloves, Covering your body, really, especially when you're sensitive. Yep. Yeah. And if you're someone who um, is just going to be or is going to be paddling and portaging, for instance, which or even hiking, you know, just hiking. We have the the whole trail system through the Boundary Waters. Uh huh. Um, Then uh, 
some people are really benefiting from the bug jackets, they call them, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, gives you some protection, but gives you also some alternatives. So you can take the hood off if you don't want the head net part or put it on if you need it when you stop. So you have some options there. My own experience with those is that if you're someone who's going to, who like me has has to is off trail we don't i don't do trails right <laughs> for work um then they don't work very well because they are not um, built to withstand the rigors of crashing through the brush yeah i imagine shredding occurs yeah. rather quickly doesn't <laughs> yeah, it yeah it yeah yeah so but other than that um they're you know really an excellent alternative and and i know a lot of people who don't um who really without that would probably wouldn't venture out but they do and there are so many um well i think of uh, a friend who had the opportunity or took the opportunity to spend quite a few uh trips out with me working and she had been on you know any number of wilderness trips boundary waters trips um in her years of living here Uh, but she'd never been out in june because of the biting insects and you know, she was a little anxious about, you know, making this uh, a regular thing because I had two trips planned for June. And, uh, but, you know, I made, we just went through the gear, you know, and made sure she had all options for gear. She had a bug jacket and a regular head net and, um, you know, just had some options to work with. And we, you know, we went out and she now is, June is one of her favorite times of the year to go. because she knows how to suit up because she knows how to be comfortable Ah. including with the biting insects biting flies but um also she recognized in that experience that she had no idea what else was going on in june (laughs) yeah yeah and if you if you can't figure out a way to um be comfortable or tolerate anyway the the bug season as we call it that biting fly season then you miss out on a lot of the things that only happen in the rest of the land you know in the landscape that only happen in june and after that are missing you know we can't see them so all the wildflowers and shrubs Mm. that bloom in june the the when the moose calves are you know really young and look so fresh um when the when the birds are at their peak in terms of chorusing in the in the mornings <laughs> yeah i mean it's Love it. june is uh, from in my you know estimation anyway one of the most fantastic times to be in the wilderness and to really um I guess, have the sense of the whole array of things that the wilderness offers. You know, you can experience some of that anytime. But June really brings it all to life in, a, in, in sounds, in visuals, um, in, so, in so many ways that, you, that just aren't happening later in the summer. I, it elicits... A multi-sensory experience, mm-hmm. and and I think you're touching on this. If if you're going in unprepared mm-hmm. and you're feeling miserable, uh, likely those senses will only be tuned into that misery, and you may miss all those mm-hmm. other things. And I think that's hugely important. 
Yeah. You know, so I have a few questions that yeah. have come to my mind sure. uh, while you've been talking, and then we can hammer through some of these before we get to maybe mm-hmm. a story of yours that mm-hmm. I, I think we would all mm-hmm. love to hear mm-hmm. some of your experiences. Um, so first one is, mm-hmm. can, maybe you, maybe you do or don't know the answer, mm-hmm. is it possible to die from being bitten mm-hmm. by any of these common biters? Like if I went out there just exposed... Could I die from mosquito bites? Could mm-hmm. I die from black fly bites? Do you know? Well, <laughs> it's, I think it would be a matter of degrees. So if you purposefully exposed yourself to, to whatever would come after you, um, then, uh, you know, I don't know that you died directly from those bites, but from all of the accumulation of the, your reactions to those bites. I, I know for myself that I have been made sick by having too many bites. Would I have died? You know, maybe if I'd been out there day after day after day, mm-hmm. I, that's, I couldn't say that couldn't happen. But for the most part, no, um, we're not likely to die from these things. And I, I don't, I've never heard of, that doesn't mean it isn't out there, but I've never heard of anyone who was allergic in some lethal way to, uh, to the bites of these biting flies that we've been talking about. Okay, good. I just needed to get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Now, my second question uh-huh. has to do with, um, I think one of the insects we haven't touched much on um, mm-hmm. And I think it's the gnats. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody recently told me that, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of this, oh, you can appreciate the gnats. And mm-hmm. here's why. And mm-hmm. they said the gnats are the number one pollinator <laughs> of blueberries. So <laughs> fact or myth, Joe? That's a myth. That's a myth. So, um, and, and gnats are an interesting term because people use the term gnats for um, usually in my experience, they use that for what ultimately, if I can be there with them and we can say, what are you calling a gnat? They, it's a black fly. Black flies come in different sizes. So I have been imagining maybe mm-hmm. v- various things when you use that term. So yeah, let's mm-hmm. clarify that. Okay. So um, as I said, many species of black flies, some are quite small, not as small as noceums. That's a whole nother category. <laughs> So much. We haven't oh, talked about Wow, okay. <laughs> um, but, and then other black flies are larger and a little bit more easily seen. Um, but they, they, they tend to get lumped in with, under this term of gnats, um, because they're a similar size and, and they swarm. And there are other gnats that swarm too that have no interest in us whatsoever um, because they're not looking for a blood meal. They're not a biting fly in any way, shape, or form. And they and those are pollinators, but they're not pollinators particularly of blueberries. So male uh, black flies and other um, insects, flying insects, um, might occasionally pollinate a blueberry because they're out nectaring, just like other um, flies and insects are at the time of year when those flowers are out. But the prime pollinators of blueberries in terms of a blueberry crop (laughs) that we might be looking forward to feasting on, um, our bees are our native bees. Um, they are the chief pollinators of blueberries. How is our bee population as far Mm -hmm. as ensuring Mm -hmm. the, uh, longevity of our blueberry Mm -hmm. picking, Mm -hmm. uh, dreams? Mm -hmm. 
I don't think anybody really knows about our northern populations. Um, you know, there's been a lot of focus on pollinators in state, you know, from a state perspective and beyond. Um, so there's a lot of interest, but um, we know, and we know pollinators in other parts of the state are definitely um, suffering population declines and um, and in other parts of the country. Uh, so, so there's reason, you know, for concern, but, you know, the resources to study bee populations, and we have many native bees, not just a native bee, we have many, um, and they're all, they all play a role for different plants and at different times during the flowering season of plants for the resources really haven't been there to study populations of northeastern Minnesota versus north central Minnesota versus we're still learning which ones we have. I mean, that's how little we really um, grasp the the nature of our pollinator, uh, the pollinator world. Uh, and, but um, so I guess we, you know, I couldn't say, you know, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, they're out there, and they go through annual changes in their abundance based on weather and all kinds of other things. So teasing that apart from uh, impacts that might be more global related to climate change, uh, relating to other um, to toxins that we're putting into the air, not directing at them, but just putting into the environment that can affect them. We're really pretty ignorant about that. And that goes throughout the world, not just here. So, um, it's a good thing when to feel good about seeing them when you do see them out, but they're what we're relying on for our blueberries are the native bees. So uh, don't kill the bees. Definitely do not kill the bees. We um, need them. We need them. Mm -hmm. And and all of our pollinators, um, all the, all so many of the, so much of the beauty that we appreciate in, in the wilderness in terms of the, the, the whole scene of vegetation is reliant, especially in the understory, is reliant on um, pollinators to make it happen. Yeah. You know, there's a few things, you know, I'd like to transition here mm -hmm. into some of your stories, but I mm -hmm. think my biggest takeaway just from all, mm -hmm. you know, the way that you have uh, chosen to, to describe the, these elements is how interconnected mm -hmm. It all is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we like to focus on the wilderness, but just mm -hmm. because there's a line <laughs> doesn't mean that it, you know, what we do in southern Minnesota or central mm -hmm. Minnesota doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't ignore that. Mm -hmm. And so, but when it, even the health of the insects and the health of the water equals the health of the fish, uh, the health of the pollinators for our blueberries, all of these mm -hmm you know, the insects mm -hmm. that we either love or hate, mm -hmm. um, we need it all. Mm -hmm. We have to have it all mm -hmm. in order to have all the things we love. Mm -hmm. And it may not be a direct, like the gnats are pollinating the blueberries, <laughs> but it is such an interconnected web that we have to have it all. We can't yeah. get rid of one of them. Well, otherwise we'll have to get rid of it all. Yeah. We're not really in a position to decide who matters in this realm. We're, we don't have that kind of knowledge and understanding to make those decisions. We make them unintentionally by things that we do. But um, if if we were just going to try to make a list of what do we need and what don't we, we don't know enough to make those decisions. Um, and as you know, we already talked about the 
what the part the life the part of the life cycle of biting insects that we experience directly and what so what we tend to focus on is just a, is the smallest part of their life and and it's the and it's and those adults feed other things too um it's not just the aquatic life but the aquatic life parts of their life cycles are crucial to our aquatic systems and once the adults are out then they're food for all kinds of all kinds of other critters that are supporting other aspects of the landscape that we live in so you're right the interconnectedness is is the most true statement that we can make about it. We know that much. We know that much with certainty. And it's not just interconnected right here. We have, you know, dragonfly species and butterfly species that migrate away and migrate back, you know, long distances. In addition to birds, it's insects too that do migrations. And uh, so we have long distance connections that um, play out and how how people in Texas or Missouri or, you know, somewhere down there are treating their landscapes can affect what's able to, you know, return and continue the cycles here in the north northern part of the world. So we're we're connected, you know, both closely and at great distances to the rest of our earth. Well, I you know, that's kinda cool because I know mm-hmm. we have listeners all over the country yeah, right. and um, I hope that you know, for in whatever way they can feel more connected to the mm-hmm. wilderness, just yeah. because of because of that awareness. Right. Yeah. Um, what? So I know we don't know a lot, mm-hmm. but I know mm-hmm. what we do know mm-hmm. is the power of our individual experiences in mm-hmm. the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot. <laughs> and just like lucky me, right? Yeah. So just like I feel like we barely scratch the surface of mm-hmm. this conversation about insects. Mm-hmm. I know that we'll barely scratch the oh. surface of your experiences, <laughs> but if you mm-hmm. if you could share one story of uh-huh. of significance to you in the wilderness, mm-hmm. um, what story would you share? And and could you mm-hmm. share it, please? Uh, I'll share one that relates to insects. Okay? All right, <laughs> since that was the <laughs> since that's our topic, um, and it's. Um, and I'll share one about insects that aren't troublesome. All right. But are definitely a part of the early summer biting fly season experience. Okay? Yes. So kind of the other end of the spectrum of insects at that time of year. So um, this was a number of years ago, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And I was out. On, it was a work trip. Um, I was on Polly Lake, which mm. I bet a lot of people listening might be familiar with wonderful lake wonderful lake and people who have been there might even be familiar remember anyway that Polly lake has a long kind of thin finger-shaped bay that goes down the east side and if you were you know um heading out along the the uh route back to sawbill say you'd you might take that towards route. the lady chain yes mm-hmm. towards the lady chain exactly and so I, the person, the two, the two of us were up out early, <clears throat> and we were uh, going down the length of that bay to head, you know, head east. It was early morning. It was about probably six thirty in the morning. The lake was just like glass, just perfection for being out. It's you know the birds are singing away, but otherwise it's just as peaceful as could be. 
and, uh, and, you know, we're just enjoying the scene really. And, um, the quiet, uh, uh, and as we went along and we're approaching the south end of this bay, I'm looking out into the distance and I'm just, I'm just squinting and thinking, what is going on down there? Because the lake is just flat, you know, it's calm and glassy as possible. And then I, but in the, at the end, I see it looks kind of textured, not wave textured, just textured somehow <laughs> and kind of a strange color. And the sky, there's no difference in the sky. I mean, no, I can't think of any reason why. There's no clouds, you know, so it's nothing related to the sky. But, you know, at a distance, I could see there was something different there, but I had no idea what it was. And as we got closer and closer, and I'm getting, we're getting more, and I've now I've mentioned it, and, you know, my partner's looking out there, and, yeah, you know, I don't know, you know. And uh, so we had to get within, I don't know, just a meter or so, a few feet of of what was literally a line. And what it was was about literally an acre of the surface of the water was almost solid, um, just like a blanket of freshly emerged mayflies. Wow. And they were um, a celery green color. They were... Um, not the, you know, not a real tiny mayfly. Mayflies come in all sizes, but they weren't the biggest ones. They were, they were kind of middle distance. So they were maybe half inch to three eighths of an inch long, their bodies, and then their wings a little bit longer than that. So they, so they, they were substantial. They weren't, you know, really um, tiny and hard to make out. These were, and so you could see all the details of each one as they sat there in perfect stillness on the surface of the water about to they've just emerged from their aquatic life they've just metamorphosed in this incredible synchrony um, of emergence <laughs> was just, yeah. I mean I I could not I've seen many many things in my time in the wilderness but that took the cake it was just awesome the fecundity of June and summer in the boreal you know, north was all right there in front of us in this mass of beautiful, just incredibly beautiful um, mayflies sitting on the surface, about to launch into their, you know, lives as adults. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it I, was. Especially, I imagine that's an ecologist's dream oh. right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, an ecologist's dream for sure. And just a huge um, uplifting experience as, as a human being in the land, on the water, seeing this powerful force of our natural systems uh, you know, displayed with such, I mean, I'm used to seeing, you know, the, the lushness of the vegetation and, you know, and the huge swarms of mosquitoes or whatever, but to have the chance to see this, this particular thing, which um, I, I, I don't know, you know, I know other parts of the Great Lakes, you know, they're at one in the past, there were, you know, massive um, emergence of uh, mayflies, you know, that covered the roads. And, and it still happens occasionally, you hear about that. Um, so I don't know if we have more or less now, but, but I, I, you know, I've been coming and going from there, that area for, you know, 45 years now or more. And I had never seen anything 
that equal that, and I still haven't. I would love to, <laughs> I'd love to be in the right place at the right time again, yeah. but that's what it takes. So being out, um, I guess, the other thing that spoke to me really loudly was, you know, um, to have experiences, you have to be out there. Yeah. And, you know, so the more, whether you're in the boundary waters or just out in the natural world, it's being out that gives you, is the doorway to having those just, amazing experiences of whatever kind i can't think of uh, a more uh poignant way to mm. kind of wrap that up because everyone who listens to this i mean most of the feedback we get from folks is we wish we could be out all the time mm -hmm. but you know we get maybe one trip a year or a couple yeah. trips a year mm -hmm. and so what you just you just gifted that experience mm. to all of us who have never witnessed it. And I'm sure my imagination w doesn't do it justice. I picture this green mm -hmm. carpet, mm -hmm. uh, which just, I can't actually fully fathom it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I wanted to throw this out there because yeah, I, sure. you know, I I think personally, I'm, I'm take a risk of sounding crazy here, but um, you know, a lot of, uh, you hear people say, you know, like, oh, like magic doesn't really exist mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And when you think of, when I think about, all these different experiences, these events in the wilderness, but most specifically something like metamorphosis, mm -hmm. where it is like a, a literal transformation, yeah. you know, like Harry yes. Potter style, yeah. like magic right. happens yeah. out there yeah. and we either don't see it, maybe we're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But when you see something like you just described, mm -hmm. I think magical. Yeah. And that feels like yeah. the most uh, perfect a way to to describe it to me yeah and so thanks for giving that gift of the you know some wilderness magic mm -hmm. to us today you're very welcome it was a pleasure thank you what an awesome conversation thank you to joe for joining us on the podcast and um as i said just at the beginning too you know she's been down on wtip for a number of years of, of regular voice a voice many people know on the airways but to have her join us on the podcast was awesome matthew thanks for setting that up making that happen in a perfect time because there's been no shortage of bugs this year well actually joe they're insects uh, uh, thank you yeah exactly for uh <laughs> well no no problem and you know what i love about chell is that the depth of knowledge that she has about these things always blows me away and what I especially love about that depth of knowledge is that it's matched by a depth of passion and appreciation and genuine connection to the wilderness. I mean, for her, this is a magical place. And I, listening to her reminds me of how important it is to foster that um, magic, that whole sort of holding of how beautiful even the insects can be, even something like uh, which most of the anglers despise, but a hatching, you know, a hatching can be like a bad news on a trip, but it's also a really amazing process that happens in the wilderness. For sure. It was a educational, this has been perhaps the most educational episode that we've had on the podcast. I mean, you can, you can learn a lot on, the, on today's episode. I know I did. Well, Chell definitely took us to school. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we learned too about the idea of staying flexible on your trip, keeping that in your mind as you're planning and certainly while you're out there. And if you want to see some video, uh, 
of evidence that we were indeed catching all these walleye that we were boasting about. Uh, you can visit our Patreon site. Uh, just go to Patreon or through Google or wherever you want to find it, or it's you know WTIP Boundary Waters podcast page on Patreon, which is a website, a Patreon. So visit us there. You can see some video of us catching walleye. We also have uh, some instructional video there about setting up a hammock. I mean, hammock camping was a big part of that trip too that we talked about uh, while we were out there. So, uh, yeah, keeping with that theme of education, you can learn (laughs) about how to set up a hammock camp, which was awesome, by the way. Yeah, you know, there's lots of ways that we really enjoy interacting with all of you, our listeners. Uh, You know, that's the podcast itself. That's through our Patreon page, which is uh, it's cool to see how that's developed. Um, Also through email. And uh, we've got a long list of, of great stories that we're pursuing from you, our listeners, but we would always appreciate more. So if uh, you're feeling inspired and have a story to tell or know a friend who has a story to tell, please get a hold of us at bwcapodcast at gmail.com. We can always call WTIP and talk to Joe Fredericks himself. Yeah, 218-387-1070. Uh, happy to talk fishing or paddling, uh, whatever you want to talk about, or just hear your story and set up a time to do an interview, too. So it's all good, and it's all here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Big thanks to you, our listeners, to our sponsors, which uh, help keep the podcast alive. We really appreciate our paddling community and are excited to drop another episode into this great big bucket. And until then, it's summertime, Matthew. We have paddling to do, we have fishing to do, and exploring to get done here. So I'll see you out in the Boundary Waters, Mr. Matthew Baxley. Wait, is that an engine starting? Oh, it's a moose. (laughs) (laughs) I just sing when I paddle, feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around Campfire light all around the campfire light all around all around all around the campfire light